You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So we are in our Culture Code series, and we're going to go on a little journey today. And if you guys have if you guys have seen me speak before, uh, you know that I love to go deep. I love to go on journeys. We're going to cover a lot of ground, but I, I promise you that where we're going is going to be really cool in the end. So we are going to go through a few books of the Old Testament. I'm not going to read them all to you because we do not have time. Say amen. And... But we're going to go on a journey. So you guys with me? With me? Good. Okay, so uh, we are going to start off in the book of Exodus. It is the second book of the Bible, and it is right near the front. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go there. If you have your phones, you can just type it in. But Exodus 3, 4, and I'm going to set up the story for you. So Moses, a great man of God, was in a dysfunctional place in his life. He had gone through some stuff, and he'd run away from everything that he knew to spend 40 days in his own wilderness before he led people into the wilderness. But he spent 40 years in the wilderness, and he had an encounter with God at the end of that time where God physically showed up in a burning bush, a bush that had flames coming out of it but was not being burnt, all flames, no smoke, no ashes, and God's voice was coming out of this bush. I have heard God speak to me in my thoughts. I have never heard the audible voice of God, but I know when God's speaking because those thoughts are always running counter to my own and they always line up with scripture. So Moses is having an actual encounter with the presence of God and an audible voice. And this is where we pick our story up. So when the Lord saw saw that he turned aside to look, Uh, Moses turned aside to look, and God called him from the midst of the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses was adopted into Pharaoh's family. He was the stepson of Pharaoh. And out of all of the Hebrew people, he was the most qualified for this task. But Moses had been in this dysfunctional place, disqualifying himself for 40 years. And when God came to Moses and said, hey, I choose you God, Moses said, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So keep in mind, God's audible voice coming out of a bush that is on fire, but not burning up. God shows Moses some miracles, wonders to prove who he is turns a stick into a serpent, then back into a stick. Moses, he's like, put your hand in your jacket. Moses pulls his hand out. Wow, leprosy. Shoot. He said, put it back in. Wow, made whole again. 
He said, look, I'm gonna show you how to do these signs so when you go to Pharaoh, you can show him the miraculous power of God and he will know that I am with you. And if that doesn't work, scoop some water out of the Nile, pour it onto dry land, it will turn into blood and then drop the mic. Pharaoh will say, get out of here. I'm done with all of this stuff. But Moses, who has just seen physical miracles and has heard the audible voice of God says to the Lord, Exodus 4.10, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before or since you have spoken to your servant all of my life, I have been slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who's made your mouth? Who made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. I've got you in a process. I'll be with you. I will fulfill what I'm telling you right now. I will be with you the whole time. Don't worry. I made you. I know what you're made of, and I know this is in you. Come on. Let's go. But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please, please send somebody else. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. He's got a speaking gift. Why don't you take him? Oh, and look, oh, there, he, there he is now. He's coming to meet you. <laughs> Wonder who planned that. So uh, when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do, and you shall be the spokesman to the people, and he himself will be a mouth to you, and you will be as God to him. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So scholars believe that Moses had a profound stutter. He had a disability. He had a speech impediment. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And I've been that way since birth. God shows Moses firsthand miracles, tells him that he'll teach him what to say. It's going to be a process. I'm going to be in it with you. And Moses says, I have faith for a lot of things, but I do not have faith for that. I've been this way since birth. It's caused me a lot of pain. I do not believe you can fix me. Leave me alone. And then God says, what about your brother Aaron, the gifted speaker? I'm going to let him, you have him as a compromise. I'll speak to you and then you will speak to him. You will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to the people. So let's consider this for a second. Moses was a real human being, a historical figure. There are historians outside of the Bible that talk about Moses. Moses was a real man, just like you and me, flesh and blood. Yeah. I want to give you a little background. When Moses was a three-month-old infant, the pharaoh of Egypt, the ruler of Egypt, gave this decree that all of the males in Hebrew families were to be thrown into the Nile and drowned. So, when this decree was issued, Moses was abandoned by his mother, Jochebed. She put him in a little raft made of bulrushes and put that little raft in the reeds of the bank of the Nile. The Nile's not a creek. <laughs> it's not a little babbling brook. It is the longest river in the entire world. It is almost 4,300 miles long. It is the, the river in the Middle East. It's like, it's big. 
Moses, by the way, had an older brother, Aaron, who was three at the time. The decree was all of the male children of the Hebrews. Somehow, to his mom, his dad's not present in this story, by the way. Somehow, to his mom, it was okay to sacrifice the baby, but she's going to save the one that would become the gifted speaker. And then by beautiful circumstance, the daughter of Pharaoh's down by the river, finds the baby. Oh, look, a little cute Jewish kid. I'm, let's, let's bring him home like a pet. And then Hebrew, uh, the, uh, the father, her father, the Pharaoh, adopts him. Then he hires Jochebed, Moses' mom, to be a wet nurse. I mean, like all of the circumstances that had to be in this. There's some dysfunction, though. The book of Numbers in Hebrew tradition is called the book of names. And the book of Numbers starts off, these are the names. And it goes through all of these names, but when it gets to Moses, it doesn't name the parents. It's weird. In a book that's all about names. You don't find out until a ways later that there's some dysfunction in that family because Moses' dad married his aunt, who is Moses' mom, but also his great aunt. And his brother Aaron is also his second cousin. There's some dysfunction in there. And just so you know, in Jewish law, which is very specific, having babies with your aunt is a no-no. It's not something that they, they're into. So this is kind of hidden even in the beginning of the book of Numbers. So you figure Moses, father, for whatever reason, not present in these stories. There's some dysfunction in the family. He's adopted into a family, but grows up without his father. Abandoned by his mother, there's some trauma in there. And, you know, and God comes to him, shows him miraculous things, shows him, says, I'm going to be a supernatural mouthpiece for you. I'm going to be in your mouth and you will speak to my people. And Moses said, there's no way I'm too broken. I can believe you can do a lot of things, but I do not believe you can do that. And then to make matters worse, where Moses has a severe disability, his brother has a profound gift. Think about that for a second. Think of how you'd feel as Moses, raised as an adopted child, severe speech impediment, nannied by your mom, who's also your great aunt. Anybody grow up with a little family drama? Anybody? I'm raising my hand. Okay. So... You know, and, and I'm, I'm, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but is there anyone here who has believed that there is something so broken about them that you don't believe that God can fix it or that God can use you ever for something good? I have definitely believed that. I am raising my own hand in that. I believe that for a long time. So according to Josephus, the Roman historian, Moses was also a trained military leader, grew up as a prince, trained to lead the armies of Egypt, and he led the armies of Egypt to many victories. And on the outside, Moses is a strong man. But how many of you know that there's men that look strong on the outside but aren't necessarily strong on the inside? Moses is this beast of a man physically, but he doesn't know how to properly deal with his emotions. And we see that when he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave, he got so angry that he couldn't control his emotions and he killed this, the taskmaster. He was a prince. He could have gotten laws changed. He could have punished this guy, throw him in jail, throw away the key. He could have done a lot of things. But in this, this emotional state that he was in that he couldn't control, and you think about just, and you know, I'm, 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 I'm looking at the story and I'm, 
inserting myself in there. And I know that there's things that scripture is silent about, but I'm just asking you to go with me on this journey and just consider Moses as a man, that he's got this disqualification that he's aware of, that it must be frustrating to him to have a stammer where he wanted to speak, wanted to communicate. God's calling him out. He's like, man, you got a gift in there somewhere. But he can't seem to get it out. How frustrating that would be. All of this dysfunction in his family, and you think about like having frustration. I had this as a child when I was frustrated with situations that I couldn't control. And instead of just getting a little bit frustrated, I got ragefully angry and it scared me. There were times where I would get enraged and it was like a roller coaster for me where, you know, when you click into that card on the, the roller coaster and you're like, click, 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 click. It's like, God, I know this is coming. I don't want it to come, but I know that I'm already clicked in and I'm going to go over the edge in just a minute. And when I went over the edge, I was like a, a wounded animal backed into a corner. I would attack people. And then people would respond. That kid's freaking crazy. And then I would be ashamed. And so I tried whatever I could do to just make that go away. As a teenager, I got very involved in drug addiction. And when I was in my addiction, that rage went away, except when it didn't, you know. And sometimes I'd be drunk and that would just get ripped off. And then I would do and say things that I wouldn't even remember when I was drunk and just be so ashamed. And so you can kind of picture this with Moses and Moses kills the taskmaster. But then he does something really strange. I mean, he's a prince. But his relationship with even his adopted father is so broken that he believes that the Pharaoh is going to have him killed for what he did. There's no going and explaining. I mean, like you think your dad, like God, I saw this, I saw this great atrocity happening and I just... I, I corrected it, but I did it wrong. Like, Dad, I'm sorry. Right. Wasn't any of that. He just packed his stuff and left. Wow. He left the family that he knew. He left his mom. He left his sister. He left everybody and went to a land where he was a stranger, where he didn't even know anybody, and hung out there for 40 years. He didn't go there for like a week. <laughs> 40 years is a long time. But think about how broken he would have to be mentally to think that I just have to go away. I just have to hide. I can't actually see the people that I'm connected to. So I'm not going to read to you all of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Praise God. I'm just going to give you the highlight reel. But I want you to see Moses as a man, not this larger-than-life character that's splitting seeds with a staff or receiving tablets that have been written on by the hand of God, but just seeing him for his humanity. Because I, I had this assumption before I became a Christian that the Bible was filled with a lot of perfect people that were used in mighty ways for God. But I was amazed when I read the Bible, which is a really important part of being a Christian, by the way. You know, there's a guy up here on Sunday that'll tell you a little bit about the Bible, but never let a pastor read a Bible, read the Bible for you. God's word is alive, it is living, and it is your responsibility to get in there. And I'll tell you, when I got into my Bible, I started to see that all of the people in the Bible had flaws. Every single one of them except for how Jesus lived his life, but even the family that he was, especially the family that he was 
born into, there were people in his town that called him an illegitimate child. They're whispering about him. There was so much dysfunction in that family line that it's amazing that God of, God of the universe would choose to be born into such a dysfunctional family. What I saw when I started reading the Bible wasn't a bunch of perfect people that needed to be perfect in order to be used by God, but a bunch of people that were just as broken as I was, sometimes more so, that God intended to fulfill his perfect will for the world through. It's amazing. So we're not going to read all of it, but I'm going to tell you what happened in paraphrase, short order. So God tells Moses, I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. And you know, God's word never returns void. But then God lets Moses have a compromise with his brother, Aaron. Aaron and Moses go to Pharaoh. The Hebrew people, for those of you who have not read the story, have been in captivity as slaves to the Egyptians for 400 years. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, not a chance. So God sends 10 plagues. Pharaoh says, get out of here. God says, hey, don't leave empty handed. Go take their gold and their jewelry with you. So they leave. Then Pharaoh changes his mind and sends the Egyptian army, largest army in the world, after them. Moses goes to the Red Sea. The sea is filled up. He puts his staff into the ground, splits the sea supernaturally. The people, three million people, walk across that sea, followed by the army. When the last person gets out, the, the sea closes over the army. The entire Egyptian army is decimated. And those three million people saw that with their own eyes. They've seen the miraculous. And then for two years... First two years in the wilderness, God is helping just get their hearts right, retraining them. He's having them build the temple, the tabernacle of meeting. He's having them do all of these things, establish new ways of being because he had to get Egypt out of his people. They had been dependent on people that had held them as slaves for so long. Their hearts were not right. And he needed two years. He thought, I can do it with good leadership in two years. And then God said to Moses, take the 12 most influential men, one from every tribe and send them into the promised land, the land that I am giving you, the land flowing with milk and honey. And the 12 spies went in and then 10 came out and are like, oh my gosh, there's giants in the land. Their cities are fortified. Their people are strong. There's no way we can take them. But then there's these two guys, Caleb and Joshua, who had the right hearts the whole time and are like, what have you guys been missing? There were 10 plagues that fell on the Egyptians and we got out. Yeah. Pharaoh let us go. Moses, God was with him in his rod and he split the seas. Three million people walked through. The army was decimated. God has been with us every single day as a cloud covering us from the harsh desert sun during the day. A pillar of light of warmth to give us warmth at night. He rains down bread from heaven. I mean, he's been with us. He's not just going to abandon us. Come on, let's go. But the 10 spies... 10 most influential men of these 10 tribes went back and spread lies amongst the people and said, it's too much for us. So the people were like, we need to get rid of Moses and Aaron and we need to talk to Pharaoh. Maybe you can talk to him, let us come back as slaves. 
So the 10 spies were spreading lies. God smited the 10 spies. They all died. And, uh, and then told, the, told Moses to tell the people, because you've done this, nobody from this generation except for Caleb and Joshua are going to enter into the promised land. So in 40 years, you know, so there's, there's a lot that's going on in that. And it's, there's, there's these little cycles that go through that next 40-year period. And the complaints are always the same. The results are always the same. And it's a mess. And I'm telling you, Aaron was not a good leader at all. He was codependent. He, he was an enabler. And so for 40 years, the people would complain. God would send a plague or some sort of pestilence. People would die. They would get scared. Aaron and Moses would fall on their face before God. God would relent. The people would still be scared, and it would stop their complaining for a while. But it didn't change their heart. And then they would get discouraged again, even though God has never left them, physically present with them the whole time. Their leadership, by the way, not worshiping publicly, just going on to this little tent to meet with God. And the people were suspicious of the relationship that Aaron and Moses had with God because they weren't bringing it into the public square. They were hiding it in a tent. But you also got to think that Moses couldn't speak. And so this whole thing of like God putting his words in Moses' mouth and then Moses putting his words in Aaron's mouth would probably be a little bit embarrassing. That Moses is trying to stammer, and it's like high-stress situations, and like usually stutters get worse in stress. So you've got this thing going on in this tent that's dysfunctional. As leaders, it's dysfunctional. As brothers, it's dysfunctional. And it's dysfunctional for these people because it's keeping them in bondage. It's keeping them stuck in the wilderness. And so this goes on. There's complaints. There's fear. There's falling on the face, and there's this repeated cycle and people not getting breakthrough. And so eventually, we find them in Numbers 20 in Kadesh. And there was no water, and the children of Israel get all melodramatic again and complain, saying they wish they were dead. <laughs> so once again, Moses and Aaron fall on their face before God. Numbers 20, 7 through 12, then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Hey, Moses. Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather all of the people together and speak to the rock. Moses, use your words. And the rock will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and to their animals. Moses, I've been trying to get this to you for a while, man. You need to use your words. Stop relying on your brother Aaron. I need you to speak to the, I need you to use your words. Your words have power and the people need to see my power coming through your words. It will bring them breakthrough. But what happened? Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock like he told them. And then said to them, here now you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the, rock, struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly and the congregation and the animals had drank. Was that what God called him to do? No, God told him to speak. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, because you did not believe me to hallow me, to make me holy in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly, this entire nation into the land which I have given them. In some translations, it says that Moses spoke to the people. 
But if you look at the Hebrew, it doesn't say which of them spoke. But if you look at the history and then you look at what God said later to Moses and Aaron that you have disqualified yourselves, you didn't speak to Moses. And if Moses was the only one doing things, I think there would have been a disqualification there. But he spoke to Aaron as well. And I believe Aaron belittled the people. And then Moses took what he could rely on, what he could see in his hand, what had worked for him before, and struck the rock, not once, but twice. Nobody got breakthrough that day Moses and Aaron actually got disqualified and they got so disqualified that the next thing that happens is the people get led over to Mount Hor and God says to Aaron, look, man, I'm done with you. I'm done with this compromise. I need to get this compromise out of the picture. So he leads Aaron with his son up to the top of Mount Hor. Aaron gives his robes to, well, his son takes his robes from Aaron, leaves Aaron naked on top of a mountain and Aaron dies. And it sounds really harsh, but whatever. So the people are at the, (laughs) I mean, you get 3 million people stuck in a desert for 40 years. There's going to be some consequences. All right. It doesn't say that he smited him and sent him out into the outer darkness where there was gnashing of teeth. He just took him home. So Moses lost his security blanket though. And the next thing that happens, the people mourn for 30 days. And at the end of the 30 days, again, complaining. Thinking that God's going to leave them again in the desert to die. It's like, how many times over 42 years does God have to show up and be like, I've been with you all the time. Here's some food. I love you. I'm just trying to get you fixed so you can go in, in power into what I have for you. If you don't get fixed here, man, it's going to be dysfunctional there. I'm trying to help you out. I'm not leaving you. But the people are like, why did you bring us into this terrible place? Just to kill us again? The same old song and dance over and over again. And then God sends this plague of serpents. But Aaron isn't there to fall on his face before God with Moses. And guess what happens? The people realize that they've been in sin. And so they come to Moses and are like, we've sinned. We're so sorry. Can you please ask God to just make the serpents stop? We, we know what we've done wrong. And Moses, will you please pray to God? Moses prays publicly for the people. And God says to Moses, fashion a serpent out of bronze. Put it on your staff. Raise your staff above your head. And when people look at that, they will be saved. God said, hey, Moses, take the stance of worship. Raise the staff, the power of God and the serpent a prophetic picture of Christ's sacrifice, the perfect blameless lamb that became the serpent, the one that knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we would be made the righteousness of God. And when the people look at that, they will be saved. After that, it's like breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. The people go into battle, but they're victorious, 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 victorious. There's a little issue with the Midianites, but that is a story for another time. But they lead them, God leads them all the way up, right to to the brink of going into the the promised land. And then he says, hey, Moses, I got to talk to you here privately. 
in this whole time where Moses is failing his people, where he's going against God, where he's being disobedient, God never publicly ridiculed him. And at the very end, he's 120 years old. He's run his race. He's gotten his breakthrough. He's brought people his breakthrough. He's started to speak. The people have started to get free. And he says, Moses, grab, grab Joshua, the warrior that you've raised up, the one with the right heart, and bring him into the tent of meeting. I got to do something publicly before you commission him. I got to do something privately before you commission him publicly. And God says to Moses, hey, it's the end of the line for you, buddy. I love you. You're going to be with me always. But before you send Joshua off, who has become like a son to you, into the promised land, there's something I need you to do first. And he gives Moses this incredible legacy. And I just saw this recently. I was reading in the book of Revelation, and you get into the book of Revelation, and it talks about the song of Moses still being sung in heaven. That the people that that won the ultimate battle at the end of time, overcame the accuser, are singing the song of Moses and are singing the song of the Lamb still in heaven. There's not a speech of Peter or a psalm of David or a letter of Paul that's being read, but the song of Moses. And God says, before you send the tribes out. Before you send Joshua with my people out into their promise, I need to put my words in your mouth and you will bring my words to my people. God's word never returns void. It took 42 years for God to complete the word that he gave Moses in the burning bush. But at the end of Moses' life, I'm gonna do what I told you I was gonna do in the beginning. In the beginning, Moses said, God, God, Moses heard God say, I'm gonna put words in your mouth. And so he immediately thought of how disqualified he was from speaking. He compared himself to his brother's speaking gift and thought, I can never do that. I have a stammer. People have been making fun of me since I was a kid. I just don't make me go through this again. But God didn't have him have a speech for him because he didn't need a speaker. He didn't need a speaker in the wilderness. He needed a worshiper. He didn't need a warrior with a sword. Moses only knew how to war incorrectly because he'd never learned how to worship. He was so disqualified from ever doing that. But the thing that's really interesting about singing and stutters is that there's a lot of famous people, singers you know, like Ed Sheeran, like Kylie Minogue, like Bill Withers, like Carly Simon, like Elvis Presley, like Chris Martin from Coldplay, uh, Noel Gallagher from Oasis, that all had profound stutters and they overcame their stutters through song. Because song is in the right brain, speaking is in the left brain. The Bible says to take every thought captive into the obedience of God. You take your jacked up left brain captive with your worshiping right brain and you'll get breakthrough. The worship always precedes warfare and it always precedes breakthrough. And there's so many guys that come into church and the hardest thing for them to do is to do this. Guys have a hard time opening their mouths to sing and opening their wallets to tithe and both are a form of worship. 
And I wouldn't be telling you this if that hadn't been an incredible breakthrough experience for me in both areas where I was very financially broken, had a lot of poverty mindsets, a lot of things that I had picked up along the way, a lot of trying to make my outsides look good while my insides were broken. I was born out of adultery. I was born into a family where I didn't grow up with a father. I experienced a lot of rejection. I was bullied and I would lash out at the bullies in rageful anger. And then I was teased for being crazy. There was a lot of stuff that was going on in my life. And when I found out that I couldn't just do what I was doing on my own, I tried to hide what I would do naturally and be somebody who I wasn't hoping that I would be accepted. And that got me into tons of trouble, into drug addiction, sex addiction, porn addiction, and eating disorder, all sorts of things that were dysfunctional. Me trying to do it on my own strength and then I get saved and I start oh my gosh could I believe that if Jesus has done it for other people that he could do it for me and even though I'm seeing so many people around me with their hands raised worshiping I'm like I can't do that because when I was a nine-year-old boy I loved to sing but I got told to shut up And then I wouldn't sing publicly anymore. I would sing in my little tent of meeting, AKA the shower or in the privacy of my car, but never in front of people. Because I was so scared that if I opened my mouth, I would be rejected again as I was rejected before. But how, 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 how good is God? You know, you look at the life of Moses and the people that Moses was leading, they had an orphan spirit, they had an ungrateful heart, and the number one solution to both of those conditions is worship. Moses had a profound disability and the solution that he needed was also worship. And when God finally got to him was like, just do this. I'm not going to give you a speech. Let me put it plainly. I'm going to give you a song. Moses has a little bit of faith to give this song. And then immediately after the song, he gives one of the best speeches that's in the entire Bible. He got his breakthrough and then God immediately took him home. He ran his race and he finished well. When I came to this church, like I said in the beginning, it was the end of my season in the desert. God had delivered me out of all kinds of dysfunction. He had delivered me out of my Egypt. He had delivered me out of bondage. He had delivered me out of captivity. I had been sober physically from drugs and alcohol for a long time before I got saved. And God was delivering me out of other dysfunction. I knew that it was going. And I was brought into a school where I was discipled. And it was incredible. My life was changed, but I still hadn't stepped into the promise. And it was on my first time here at Awakened Church, my second date with my beautiful wife, Jenny. Well, now my wife, Jenny, she was just this girl that I was on my second date with then. We moved quick, but not that quick. (laughs) And God did for me in this house, in community, something that I could never do by myself. And on the one year anniversary of me coming to this house of transformation, they ran a preview asking for auditions for this new rock musical that they were doing called Hero. And in that moment, I knew what I was supposed to do. And I totally didn't want to do it at all. But the Holy Spirit's like, you're going to audition for this show. 
and I was so scared. I'm, I'm like, I, I had one friend that had heard me sing. We used to do theater together when I was a little, little kid. And I had to record myself on my voice memos on my phone and text her the songs that I was thinking of doing for the audition because I couldn't, I was so jacked up internally that I couldn't even sing to her over the phone where she's not even there. But that show gave me breakthrough in so many areas. Me, who had dealt with fear of rejection, who had really a lot of body image issues, had had an eating disorder, fear of public performance, all of that, that stuff. God's like, look, I'm gonna ask you to do something that's gonna make you incredibly uncomfortable, to be on a cross lifted above You know, over the course of the past seven years, tens of thousands of people in the most vulnerable position that you could possibly be in, almost naked, singing a rock ballad. And in that, I'm gonna bring you your breakthrough. I had wanted a family my whole life, but I had disqualified myself. I had been in homosexual relationships. I'd been in jacked up relationships with sociopathic women. I had been in a lot of dysfunctional places and but God gave I had this I really wanted to have a family and have kids and like I knew that there was this love inside of me that I so desperately wanted to share but I couldn't see a place from here to there I just didn't didn't see it and but before God could give me a son he had to give me a song before he could give me my own company he had to give me a cross to carry and the cross wasn't an easy cross to carry But man, the breakthrough on the other side of that has been so incredible, not just for me, but for others. And I can tell you that I wouldn't be the husband that I am today. I wouldn't be the father that I am today. I wouldn't be a pastor today. I wouldn't be any of the things in my life that are like my my joy, my purpose, if I hadn't picked up that cross when God said, you need to do this. And not all of you, have a song that you need to sing that's an actual song. All of you guys need to get your hearts right in worship. I'm telling you that 100% that worship always needs to precede warfare because if you try to war without worship, you will get it wrong and it won't only hold you back, but it will hold back all of the generations forward. And I think, and I know I'm a couple of minutes over and I swear I'll wrap it up, but there's, uh, there's something that I've seen in our culture that in Israel, the men of war were preceded by worshipers. That the worshipers, the guys that sang and the guys that danced were on the front lines. I don't think that there was anything effeminate about those men. But I think the devil has gotten a hold of our culture in a way that they've told men that if you sing, if you dance, you better cut that out and not let anybody see you doing that. I'm gonna put a football in your hand. You hide that. Don't do that. And then I see the guys like me coming into church like this during worship. Saying, I'm not gonna give the church my money. They're just after my money. It's like, nobody's after your money. God's after your heart. And if you can change your heart, you can change your life. And the two greatest ways to change your heart is to take that position of worship, to give first. So I'd love for everybody in the room to close their eyes and bow their heads. And even if you have lunch, just give me two more minutes of your time. But everybody do this. And please, every head bow, every eye closed. 
When I was preparing for this message, God was showing me that there are some people this morning who have felt disqualified, some who have been so overwhelmed by everything that's happened this past year and the fear and shame have gotten to you and they've silenced you. And there are some where it's been a longer road, a much longer road. And you're like I was, like Moses was, trying to project an image of strength, but you know you don't have it together on the inside. And there are a few here that have never accepted the qualification that Jesus died to give you. I wanna pray for all three groups. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, will you all join me in prayer and bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you fall into any one of those three groups, on the count of three, while no one's looking around, I want you to raise your hand. One, if your hearts are racing right now and you're wondering, should I or shouldn't I? You definitely should. I'm talking to you. Two, if you're thinking, what if God takes away the only things that I've been relying on to get through life? Let me tell you, there is a freedom and a joy on the other side. And three, if you fall into any of those categories, raise your hand right now. Do not go home with regret, cursing yourself for a coward. I see hands going up all over this place. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, 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 God bless you. And even if, especially if you've been in church but you know you need a fresh touch from heaven. Let me tell you the breakthrough starts with humility. And if there are any of you, will you raise your hands too so I can include you in this prayer? God bless you, 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 God bless you. So while every head is still bowed and every eye is closed, I want you to join me in this prayer. And if you raised your hand for the first time or for the hundredth time, I want you to hear the voices of the great cloud of witnesses around you that want to live you into your breakthrough, live you into your promise. This isn't a solo journey with just you and God. This happens in community. But you can just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you don't disqualify me because of my past. In fact, if I give it to you, you will use my past to bring breakthrough for so many others. God, today, I give you my life. I set my eyes on the things that are ahead, not looking back at the things that are behind. I declare that heaven is my home and God is my father. I am a new creation and God has a plan and a purpose for my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.